0: Thank you, Zach. Some great thoughts, even as we return to God's Word. I'd encourage you to take your Bibles once more and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12. It's been a few months back. Uh, It was the end of April of this year that the London Marathon was run. Uh, Not much of a marathon interest person. Uh, It hit the news, and that's kind of why it caught my attention um, you know, I suppose it should be newsworthy no matter what that someone would be willing to run twenty-six point three miles. Period. Um, let alone, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people to do that in these different cities, uh, different places around the world. Uh, but the particular incident that caught my attention uh, there at the end of the um, London Marathon, April two thousand twenty-three, is not who won, although the time was impressively fast. I think. My memory's right, somewhere like two hours and 23, 24 minutes. I think 26 miles? Like, how about two? <laughs> um, but anyhow, that wasn't what the news article I was looking at was referencing. Rather, it was a little video clip that was being shown. It actually kind of circulated online. Uh, In the internet first, and as it began to pick up steam and momentum, uh, at least some different news outlets caught attention or were aware of it and began to mention it as well, because as they're all running the race, and there's, you know, a lot of people in that particular marathon, I think it was a record year for them, uh, there was one runner who all of a sudden just didn't seem like he was going to make it, started to slow down started to hunch over, and you kind of know in your mind what you think is going to happen next. Um, You think, this guy's going down, and yet that is not what happened in what was caught on video. Uh, As this man starts to slow down, starts to lean over, one of the guys who was behind him sticks his arm out, grabs the other guy's arm, and they start going together. And it's not very long after that, having watched that kind act of humanity, that another man who was behind grabs his other arm, and now the three of them are proceeding to finish the rest of the London Marathon together. If you were to watch the video, I think you would see a picture of what the text is challenging us with today for believers to do for one another. And yet, even in the illustration, again, I think it ought to catch us a couple things, uh, just thinking about that particular incident with the London Marathon, is that, uh, you know, on the one hand, it wasn't people who had already finished the race. You know, you hear these stories sometimes, and someone finishes, and they see someone fall, and they they go back and help. These are people who are behind, who are like, you know what, let's help this guy. He was ahead of them. Like, maybe he was the strong one. Like, man, he, he was out of the gate. These are behind, but they're like, you know what, let's help this guy. I also think it's really helpful and instructive, at least for me as I watched the video and thought about it this week, that the guy didn't actually fall. They saw the need. And before he hit the ground, and just already we're going to see this in the text, but I think it would be a wonderful thing when we see fellow believers struggling. Dude, I don't want to see you fall. I'd like to be so aware and so filled with the grace of God that we can come along inside and help before that fall occurs. So we come to the text in Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. I would remind you, and we backed way up in our scripture reading so that we would remind ourselves that the context of this chapter is running the Christian race. In fact, uh, I don't know that you would remember, it's been quite a while, but we started the year in January in Hebrews chapter 12, looking at this text on one Sunday, talking about running the Christian race of faith. And there are points where we're like, you know what, it's good, it's it's Sunday, it's nice outside, it's summer, maybe you just got back from vacation, you're like, I'm ready to run, God is just so good, and we're great in our race. And then there are those seasons and those times where we're like, I know I'm supposed to run, but I can't walk. And that faith thing, I'm really struggling to believe right. Hebrews is written to people that fall more in the latter group than the former group. Hebrews is written to believers who are being persecuted for their faith, and they're struggling. And the author of Hebrews, under inspiration by God himself, are being challenged, endure and persevere in your faith. Don't stop believing. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. In fact, the whole chapter prior to chapter 12, Hebrews 11, is filled with all of those people who lived their lives by faith. And they went through incredible things. And so we're told there's this great cloud of witnesses. There's all these testimonies out there that say your race is worth it. Run it in faith. But, you know, we're also told in Hebrews 12 and the verses leading up to our text that as we run our race in faith, hardships do occur. He tells them in verse 4, you've not yet uh, striven unto blood striving against sin. You've not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. You know, the fight is real. And he's saying, but there are also those seasons in verse 5 through about verse 11 where the problem isn't your circumstances, the problem is you. Like, he acknowledges there are points where our struggle and enduring in faith is our circumstances. This happened to me, this went on, this is really hard, and it's things outside of us. But in verses 5 through 11 he acknowledges actually there are times where the problem is inside of us. And that's often more than we want to admit and he reminds us in verses 5 through 11 that God in his kindness God in his love actually disciplines us. Says here's consequences for your sin. Why? Because he loves us. He's trying to bring us back to himself. He's trying to help us meet his standard. He's trying to form the peaceable fruit of righteousness in us. Like, we all get that verse, at least I think we get the verse where he's like, hey, we understand that no discipline for the present is joyful. It's it's not. It's like, none of us like, man, this is hard. I'm reaping consequences for my own faults, my own failures, my own sin. And he's like, but afterward, it yielded the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So He's acknowledged those things. We're in this race. We need to keep believing. We need to run with perseverance, with faith, with patience, the race that's in front of us. We may have hard circumstances. God may be chastising us for our own sin. But in verse 12, he takes our eyes and he lifts them beyond just ourselves, although I think ourselves are in view, to one another. And in the verses we're going to look at, again, both this morning and this evening, verses 12 to 17, there are actually three imperatives, three commands given to us. We're going to, just for ease, kind of lump them into two main thoughts for ourselves, and then several sub-thoughts, okay? But we're going to look at these three commands under two main headings for us today. Our first, as we come to verses 12 and 13, I'm going to ask you to consider your responsibility of restoration. Consider your responsibility of restoration. Now, admittedly, it is our responsibility of restoration. It is my responsibility of restoration. But I want every believer in this room to understand you have a responsibility in light of this text. I have a responsibility in light of this text. This text is not simply written to, oh, this is the section on church leadership and pastoring. This is that section that's written to the deacons. Like, if you see that somewhere in chapter 11, 12, you come see me, let me know. As I read the scripture here, this is something for all believers to consider your responsibility of restoration. As we look at verses 12 and 13, we'll summarize that with two further statements as to what those responsibilities are. Verse 12, very simply, strengthen the weak. Strengthen the weak. He says, wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. You can almost get the picture. In fact, that's why my mind was drawn back to this video from the marathon that I watched earlier. Because this person's running and all of a sudden their arms start to droop, their knees start to go, and you're waiting for the impending fall. Keep in mind, he said, you're you're running this race, you're to run it with patience, with remaining under. And now he's like, now look, there are those whose arms, they start to hang down a little lower. They're not out there like, okay, let's go. Their shoulders are stumped, Their hands are hanging down. Their knees are starting to bend. And he tells us here, when you see that occur, lift them up. This word for lift up means to rebuild what is fallen, to strengthen what is weak, or to restore. Might even be helpful for us if we look at the etymology of the word to understand that our word for orthopedic today comes from the Greek word that's used in the text here. Right? We, we, we have a joint problem, we have a problem with our knees or shoulders or elbows. We like, oh, you gotta go see the orthopedic doctor, right? they're going to tell you well you need therapy that's fun okay or you need surgery that's even funner more fun right you're going to see this guy who's going to try to strengthen and bolster and help you with what is weak here believers are being admonished for one another look at those who are struggling their hands are hanging down their their knees are weak and seek to restore it seek to rebuild it Seek to strengthen, seek to help. Again, we live in a day where I think we realize so many struggle. And reality is each of us at different points struggle. There's no one who's like immune to it in the room. And there's points where you just look at your circumstances, they overwhelm. Or we're reminded actually we have an enemy who's seeking to destroy. There is a spiritual battle taking place, and temptations win. Or we look around and realize, you know, the doubts are there. Or are you, we particularly deal in a day that where worry is present and anxiety is crippled. You know, cre- believers aren't immune to that stuff. And we, I think, in light of the text here, ought to be looking around going, who's struggling? And that can be because we see them here. But I would also remind us, there are points where it's like, actually, I need to be so aware because they're not here. They're always here where are they? How are they doing? What's going on? How can I help? How do I reach out? Because this text tells me, tells you, lift up those hands. Help those knees. Come alongside to strengthen, restore, rebuild. When you see another believer who's tired, who's discouraged, who's overwhelmed, or who's just absent, what's your response? Do you help? Will you encourage? Or is it kind of like you know the whole Good Samaritan parable of the man? It's like I see that um, someone else I'm sure will take care of that. I'm gonna pass by on the other side. Or go, you know what, God? I don't know how. I feel so weak. God, I'm not sure even what to say. But God, I know you said this in your word. So God, please help me because I want to be used to rebuild to encourage, to help. I would remind us that this is a repeated emphasis in God's Word. I'm tempted to put you on the spot, I won't. But Galatians 6.1, right? Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Considering yourself, thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. God intends for the church to be a place where those who are struggling get the help that they need. From God himself, from the truth of his word, from God-ordained, God-gifted leadership, and from one another. Simply from one another as well. Galatians 6.1 makes that point. I love the text. We've talked about it many times before, but in 1 Thessalonians 5, because it kind of paints the diversity of situations we encounter 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14 points to the same need this way. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. Right? He's just kind of given us the whole spectrum there. To go, you know what, there are those who step out of line. That's the idea of unruly. It's the person who's like not marching in the right path. It's like, I understand we're supposed to do this, but I'm going over here. He's like, warn that person. Like, hey, you're not doing what's right. Warn them. But then he also says, comfort the feeble-minded. word feeble-minded could be translated very literally small-souled. They're overwhelmed. He's like, so what do you do? Warn them. No, like the approach makes sense. To go, here's someone who life is just closing in on them. They're not sure they can keep going. Provide comfort. Provide comfort. And then he says, take those who are weak, they're struggling, and support them. Help them out. And then the overarching command at the end, be patient toward those that you like. (laughs) Right? Those that you get along with. Be patient toward all men, everyone. Like endure with them together within the body of Christ. Romans 15 says it this way. Try to move through these a little faster. Romans 15 says it this way. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Well, you know, it'd be really inconvenient on my schedule because it's kind of full. I got stuff I got to do. Hey, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification, to build up. Why? Here's what verse 3 tells us as to why. For Christ pleased not himself. Ouch. It's like if Jesus, God himself, was willing to humble himself to serve, to give his life a ransom for many, I think we can serve in return. I think we can help in return. One last familiar text, Philippians two verse four says this this way, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That's not an appeal to covetousness, right? It's saying, don't be concerned with all of your stuff. Look for how you can help others. And the verse that follows says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Like and again, very similar context to Romans 15. Live like Jesus did by looking to help those around you. In the language of Hebrews 12, we would say strengthen the weak. Strengthen the weak. We do that even as we gather, right? That's part of the reason the church should gather. Like our struggle is not a good excuse to miss out on our gathering because Hebrews 10 tells us that part of that is when we gather, we encourage, we provoke to love and to good works. And it's so much the more needed, verse 25, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Rather than allowing ourselves to become isolated and apart, to go, I need the gathering of the body so that we strengthen one another. But believers are told, strengthen the weak. It's fascinating if you compare the two, I won't turn there for sake of time, But this exact wording of Hebrews 12, verse 12 is found in Isaiah 35, verses 3 and 4. It's like the Spirit of God through the author of Hebrews is saying, back what you read back there about when the Messiah is going to come and the need to prepare for the Messiah's coming, to prepare for the Messiah's kingdom, you need to do that. He's saying now in the church, you need to do that as well. We're still waiting for the return of the Messiah, the Deliverer, when his kingdom will be set up. And if you kept reading in Isaiah 35, there's this wonderful picture of what it looks like when the Messiah really reigns. It's like the lame leap. like You don't have to worry about struggle and sickness anymore because Jesus reigns. But until then, strengthen the hands that are weak, the knees that are ready to give out, help it's fitting within Hebrews because Hebrews anticipates that day when the king will come, when the Messiah will return. Pastor Gingery led us now a few weeks back through one of those texts. It's at the end of Hebrews 12, right? Verse 28, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. We're waiting for that day. So let's strengthen one another as we seek to endure in our faith running the race set before us. So I wonder right now, Who needs your help? We're really good at putting things on other people's list of things to do. Okay? I'm not asking you to put things on my list. I'm not asking you to put things on Sunday school teachers' list. Like, we all want to be here to help. That's true. But right now for you, who is it that God wants you to help? Like, the Spirit of God give you a name Or at least prompt you to go, you know what, I need to be alert to this because I don't think about that. I I come in and I think about my stuff, my issues. I would encourage us to be praying, to be looking, to be going, how can I serve? What can I give? God, I don't know what to say, but I can at least be present because sometimes that's what matters is just being present. Number one in our responsibilities to restore, strengthen the weak. Number two, when we come to verse 13, straighten the way, straighten the way. He says in verse 13, another imperative, this is our second imperative for today, make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is be lame turned out of the way, but rather let it be healed. So now he's shifting focuses a little bit where he said, okay, let's help other runners as we're running together. Now he's like, now let's talk about the race course. Let's talk about the the path that's in front of us and Let's deal with that, okay? Or we could maybe look at the first one in verse 12 as going, we're persevering for success, whereas in verse 13, we're positioning for success. You know, it's one of those concepts for me for a while that I kind of struggled with because I'm like, well, I'm just going to push through to success, right? Like in life, let's just persevere. Let's get through. Let's persevere for success, Well, actually, here he tells us there's a time where you actually position things for success. You actually try to make it so that it is easier to achieve. We read this word, make straight, the imperative that's given. It has two connotations, I think both of which are fair and in play here. The one says to make straight, not crooked, right? Uh, You know, before, I grew up in the Midwest, and obviously the Midwest uh, was built after the East. Like, we kind of worked our way across And I learned very quickly in Pennsylvania, we evidently did not know how to make roads. They are all windy, they follow rivers so they can't be widened, and there's lots of cars. That doesn't make sense. Like, you go to where I grew up and the roads are straight, and they're like in city blocks, and you can find your way around, and you don't name your road. Three things. Westchester Pike, Route 3, Gay Street. Like, which one am I on? Okay, You know, there's an advantage to a straight road. It's a little easier. If you go, let's just number the roads this way, one, first street, second street, third street, and start numbering them, okay? He gives us a picture here of like, make your path straight. Like, let's not make this hard to figure out. Let's make it very clear where we are going, what our goal is. But then he's also saying, make it clear, not just straight, but clear, free from obstacle, right? I don't know if you've ever been there. Where you've had uh, any kind of like leg surgery, broken bone, right? Uh, I had ACL surgery in my twenties, and uh, things that I didn't think about, all of a sudden, I started thinking about. Like when you go to get in your car and you pivot on that one leg, uh, if your ACL is bad, that's not easy. That all of a sudden becomes hard. And like when you're like, oh yeah, I can go up the stairs, no problem. Somebody like yeah, I deal with this every day, right? It's way in the rearview mirror for me, but like that little lip that's one inch that doesn't trip most people, it trips you. Make the path clear, right? It's what I do when I go in my kid's bedroom at night. I'm like, let's move the toys. No, not so much anymore, okay? To free it from obstacles. He's saying, look, when it comes to other runners and yourself, keep a straight path. Walk according to God's word. Remove obstacles out of the way. It echoes some of what we heard in Romans 12, verse 1, where he's like, lay aside every weight. You know, there's stuff that it's like, yes, I can do this. It is okay to do this, but I'm not going to. We talked about that a little bit on Wednesday night before business meeting, 1 Corinthians 9. Paul's like, I could do this. I could do this, but I'm going to set that aside. There are points in life for us and for other believers around us who may be struggling we go, you know, this is a disputable issue. I'm just going to set that aside. I don't need to do that. Because I want to make this path for us all very clear, very straight, as we run our race and we try to endure. So again, I would encourage all of us, individually, personally, to consider your responsibility for restoration. To strengthen the weak, to come alongside and help and encourage. And also to straighten the way. You know, I want to make this very clear. I'm, I'm doing this because God's Word says. This is simple. This is clear. Beyond the responsibility for restoration, though, I want to introduce our third command. We'll start into it this morning, the first part, and we'll pick up with it, Lord willing, this evening. Beyond the responsibility for restoration, our third command gives us a priority to pursue. A priority to pursue. Verse 14 starts this way. Follow peace with all men. Follow peace with all men. We've talked about peace many times before. Peace is a wholeness of well-being. The way I like to think of it, the way I often say it to you is everything is right so that rest is possible. Peace is an idea of completeness or wholeness, like everything's right, so it's good. We can now rest. You know, when we are right with God, mainly through Jesus Christ, not anything to do with ourselves. We go, I'm right with God. I have peace with God through Jesus Christ. I can be at rest. I don't have to worry. I don't have to fear. My sins are forgiven. When I'm right with others, I don't have to go, ooh, I better avoid that person. That uh, that conversation is going to be hard and awkward because we haven't dealt with that. You know, When we live in peace with one another, things are right. I don't have to worry like oh can I say that to them? I said that to that person and saying no follow peace with all men. I would remind us that peace is the mark of the uh, children of God within God's kingdom. If we follow that kingdom thought further here, Jesus himself Matthew chapter 5 verse 9 as he talks about the blessed ones who will be in his kingdom says in verse 9, "Blessed are the peacemakers" for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. I I love the text in Romans 12, but I also find it really challenging where in Romans 12, it says, if it be possible, as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, neither give place to wrath for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. He's like, you don't have to go seek revenge for the wrong against you. You can leave that with God. He does a better job than you, right? Okay, and then he takes it a step further, like, well, he said it, if it be possible, and I don't know that it's possible. So what do you do with the people that you're still at odds with? Well, he tells us in the verse, like, he doesn't give us an excuse to go, I tried, it wasn't possible, so I get to quit. He's like, no, let me give you more instruction on what to do. He says, therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. It's like, yes, yeah, coals of fire. I like that. Like, quote Proverbs more. But then he gives us that last verse, right? What's the objective? Be not overcome with evil. Don't respond in kind is the idea. But overcome evil with good. So if it be possible, live peaceably with all men. And if you have an enemy, treat him nicely because your end game goal is to leave vengeance with God and to say, I want to overcome evil with good. I, I want to just show them kindness because that is what God has shown to me. Right? Aren't we glad that God didn't say, you know what, I tried a couple times and it didn't work um, because they didn't respond nicely and it's all their fault, so I'm just going to judge everybody forever in hell, period? He overcame evil with good. He calls us to do the same. Hebrews 12, 14 says, follow peace with all men. It is a command. We could say it's essential because it's a command. We don't have an option like, do I get to quit? Um, I like the word follow here. In studying it this week. Uh, it's the same word that's used in the very familiar words of Philippians 3, verse 14. Philippians 3, 14, Paul says, I press toward the mark. Press is not like half-hearted kind of terminology, right? That word press is the same word for follow here. It speaks of an intensity, a rapid pursuit, a chosen decision, okay? In negative contexts, This word is actually used for persecution as well. Like pursue with hostile intent kind of context. So there's nothing about this word that says follow peace with all men that is kind of passive, inactive. Well, maybe if I get an opportunity, this is like, no, make sure this happens. It's an imperative, and it has intensity behind it. So pursue wholeness, right relationships, Peace with all men. It's not only essential; it's continual. It's a present tense, like be doing this, be doing this regularly. Um, because reality is, we step on each other's toes. Like it happens in our homes, and part of all people is in your home. Like you know what? That wasn't very kind. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? That wasn't very thoughtful. I, I, I should have been a little more on top of it. I got angry. That was wrong. Would you forgive me? Like, to be pursuing peace regularly, habitually, in all of our relationships, because we're still flawed by sin, right? Remember James 3? If any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Like, that's where none of us live. The tongue is an unruly evil, right? Full of deadly poison, and only you can tame it like, no, no man can tame it. No one's got it mastered. And so we do offend in word. So be pursuing peace diligently because we've been commanded by God and it's been demonstrated by God. We so often offend both intentionally and unintentionally. And then again, just point out for us, it's not only essential and continual, it is universal. Pursue peace with all men. It's a challenging all. You can read some commentators, and they try to kind of work mental gymnastics and go, well, I think he's really just addressing the household of faith, other believers here. Actually, that's not true. All means all, right? Like, profound thought. You "You know, pursue peace with everyone. That, That neighbor that's a pain, that coworker that you can't tolerate, Maybe it's that believer at church too. I don't know. But like don't let yourself off the hook here to go, I am going to pursue diligently, intensely, decisively peace, where things are right with people. And if it means I have to overcome evil with good, I will do it. Are you known as a peacemaker? You're one of those people who's like, no, I just, I cut throat and I run. It's like, you know what? No, that's someone who really just wants things to be right. Okay? We're admonished here. We're not admonished. We're commanded. Don't let myself off the hook or you. Okay? We're commanded here. Follow peace with all men. This morning, we've looked and said, hey, we have a responsibility for restoration. As we run our race. There are times where you get discouraged and you got to say, all right, I'm going to keep working at this. i got to get after this. There are times you need to look around at others and go, okay, I need to strengthen the weak. I need to take obstacles out of their way. I need to straighten the path. But I also have this priority to pursue. You know what? I want to be marked by peace with those that we're running with together and those around me in life. Let's pray. God, we recognize again this morning that you have shown us incredible grace through your son, Jesus Christ. You have reached out to reconcile us when we were in our sin, to give us an opportunity to be restored to you, to have uh, peace in our relationship with you. And so, Lord, I pray that in light of the grace that you've shown to us, we would extend that same kindness, that same grace to others, striving for peace. But, Lord, I would also pray that we wouldn't think of it in selfish terms, kind of thinking of our own race and our own objectives and our own struggles and our own circumstances but being aware of the needs of those around us and understanding we have a responsibility from you to help. Lord, I pray that within the body of Christ here, you would use us to strengthen one another for your glory's sake, demonstrating to the world around us the grace that you've shown us first through Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray.